Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. No matter what you do, we appreciate you taking some time from your day. No matter how much of that time you dedicate to the program, we always love to know you're out there. So reach out to us, let us know, or just settle on back and enjoy us via podcast or the live show here at 2 p.m. Eastern Time or the repeat at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It's myself, Kelly McDonald, as uh, Bob said at the top, Ramya Muthan, my co-host. How's today, Tuesday, shaping up for you, Rum? Not bad, Kels. It's been pretty busy. Uh, feels a little bit like the start of the week just because it's I'm working from home today, whereas yesterday I was in the office. So it feels uh, different doing that shift back and forth. But I'm going to have a couple of office days in this week, which I'm very excited about. Jeff, I don't he doesn't get to see me today, so I'm sure he's pretty disappointed because so, he's yeah. in office doing tech. Well, well you had, again, um, the revenge of Rogers, as, as it's beginning to be known. Uh, with all the problems that poor Rogers Cable yeah. Systems is having. Last week, you had some troubles. You weren't sure how things were going to be. You were in studio yesterday and today back at mm-hmm. home. So how's it shaping up? Sounding okay? So far, so good. But it's always a fingers crossed situation. Uh, at the moment, at least, that's what it feels like. Because as Rogers says... People in my area are having a hard time with the internet right now. So we don't know what that means. We don't know what that could expect. But it is, you know, for Rogers and for people in general, to state the obvious, it's a huge challenge when internet is um, not optimal. So, like, even if you have internet, but it's not performing the way that it should be, um, as you said a couple weeks ago, you know, you pay for a particular Uh, package, but you're not getting that service. It's taking forever for them to restore service. Uh, It affects us way more than, you know, a couple years ago when not all of us were working from home. So now it's a a, a definite issue. And I'm wondering if, you know, service providers are on the same wavelength about that or just taking their time. Obviously, when there's issues, there's issues. But, uh, you know, are there priorities being given when we know that majority of people are now having to use that internet for professional reasons? So many people out there are kind of in check by the fact that Rogers or Bell, and, and not just to throw shade on, 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 on Rogers, folks, but the fact is, you know, Bell, Rogers, some of the infrastructure isn't what it should be to deliver what what we need them to do, especially, as Rum says, people working from home. But then also you get questions, and, and I've seen this recently from CNIB, uh, as they go through kind of asking questions to get really ideas of what the community needs, the disability community, the blind community. And some of the talk a while back, this was several years ago, was how important and crucial, whether it would be a cell phone or the Internet, for people to have. Then we've heard that across the country, the government would like to see this be recognized that, hey, yeah, this is important. This is crucial that people need it. When the outage happened for Rogers, people were scrambling. People needed They couldn't do their day. There was medical situations compromised. Mm-hmm. So I think the obvious answer is yes. And for more than just the disability community. I remember when they were removing pay phones, it became so crucial. We we have help and support for those on um, you know, government assistance to get cell phones because how the heck are you going to find a phone when you need one? 
when there's yep. trouble and you're on the streets and you might need to call somebody to get some assistance or, or whatever. So these are yeah. interesting topics, Rum, when you look at that and you look at the situation. Um, and again, last Thursday, I had some problems. I, I was at home on my time off and I was noticing Internet indigestion, as I like yeah. to call it. Yeah. And I That's think a great that way to put it, actually. It is. And I, I, like that, well, yeah. and the infrastructures all around, the, the whole catching up. And then, of course, we're quick to think, oh, what's happening? Who's hacked into where? So a very long conversation, uh, many conversations mm. like this as we see the government's thinking about it. But also, let's be fair and, and talk about briefly, that's a lot of money to expect, whether it's the cable yes. companies, whoever the providers are, uh, and what level of importance does the government put on it to support it so anyway let's see what's coming up today on kelly and company and hopefully your internet is nice and clear folks one third of ontarians haven't had an eye exam in over three years and many think eyewear is not affordable heard that comment made before we learn more about what spec savers is doing to help combat this Mondays and Tuesdays, we check in with our community reporters, and Julie Martin is highlighting the small world farm in Pictou County, Nova Scotia, when she joins us. Interesting guest in hour two, folks. Stick around. We speak with award-winning sketch comedian and popular TikToker, Laurel Ramoso, uh, about her new live comedy special that gets underway on Thursday. So please, hang in. We'll get into that conversation during hour two here on Kelly and Company. American tennis great Serena Williams says the countdown has begun on her career. The 23-time Grand Slam champion says she's ready to step away from tennis so she can focus on her family. Now, this reporter here has some more for us. Williams writes in an essay for Vogue that she and her husband want to try for a second child. And at 41, something's got to give. She also says she doesn't think it's fair that as a woman, she has to choose between tennis and a family. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this, she says. I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. So Williams isn't completely clear on that timeline for her last match, but suggests it could happen at this month's U.S. Open uh, very interesting uh, at 41. Wow. But we hear that with athletes, of course, uh, that that time frame, that window for them is a lot shorter, Ramya. But you, you hear this argument and it rings true, right? If she was a guy, you, things are still seen different. Yeah, of course. That's uh, definitely kind of a... You know how we say double standards or, or things that are different for men and women? Well, sometimes you think it's not necessarily true or things are, the gaps are coming closer and closer and closer and we're not seeing as much difference. But in other ways, yeah, we definitely are. And this is an example of that. Well, others would say a fact of life, man. That's, you know, we're born to uh, into what we're born into and we learn how to live with that, hopefully be grateful for what we have. And I know there are those stopping moments where you do say, wow, things were different. Or if I was, and I guess for, for, for Serena, this is, is one of those. Um, and where some would say, well, unfortunately life, life isn't fair. And uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I think uh, uh, great athletes, you love to see them work. You like to see them perform, but none of us beat time. It's just not the way it works. Aging happens and you have your priorities and, and um, you, you do order them and put them in place and do the best you can yeah. with what you can. 
And it's priorities too, right? Like people go through, people are people, um, athletes, entertainers, you know, social media sensations, whoever. Um, and if there's something that comes up for them, like a priority of family or other examples that you can think of, uh, you do have to take the time. Like we're seeing a lot more people say, hey, I need a break for mental health. Yeah. And and taking that kind of um, turn as well. So you really can't dictate. And, and yeah, we sit here on the sidelines and we're like, we love you. Please keep doing it. But uh, it's not necessarily our decision to make. And we yeah. we got to roll with it. And we have to stick to the agreements, the things we, we have committed to in life and for those around us. Yeah, it's, off it's the a, camera. Uh, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's a work. It's a work in progress. And we have, you know, others that we have committed to. Uh, Motown songwriter Lamont Dozier of the team Holland Dozier Holland has died at the age of 81. So many classic Motown hits were written by Lamont Dozier and Eddie and Brian Holland. Here's Dozier in a 2009 AP interview listing the hits he wrote just for the Supremes. The word that I love go, baby love, stop in the name of love, reflections, you can't hurry love, love is here now you're gone, I hear symphony. Their other hits include Heat Wave, Reach Out, I'll Be There, and How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. Dozier wrote Sugar Pie Honey Bunch because his grandfather called women that. Bernadette was inspired because Holland, Dozier, and Holland each had trouble with women with that name. I'm Archie Zaroleta. Amazing music these guys had. Uh, yes, interesting stories for, and I I find that the most interesting. If you ask a a musician or an artist of mm-hmm. any kind, what, what what inspired you to write that poem? Why, why did you write that song? And whether it's something they heard from someone else, whether it's something appropriate, inappropriate, whatever it might be, it's yeah. always an interesting and and kind of. I know. You drop your mouth and uh, what? <laughs> what an archive, though. My gosh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, really. What do you want to talk about? What's your resume have? Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Coming up next, folks, on the program, starting this Saturday, the first Canadian international festival that celebrates the uh, w- uh, work of women in dance from Africa and Afro-diaspora uh, culture. Stick around. It gets underway, and we're going to get the details in two minutes on Kelly and Company. Canada, look for AMI-audio, folks, right from your TV. Compton, Channel 88, and Kojiko, Ontario, Channel 596. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program. You know, it's interesting, Ramya, when you, uh, in the last segment, when we were listening to um, uh, the recognition of... of, uh, uh, the Motown tunes that uh, yes. they were responsible for, Holland, Dozier, and Holland. And it's pretty phenomenal, that catalog of songs just mentioned, and there's so many more, so much pride one could have. And I know that a lot of what they also did in that Motown sound that came out, the Phil Spector and everybody, it was that image of these folks that, I think some would say educated people, white people, or people outside of that Detroit um, black community, um, but educated them in a way of this is the work of these folks. This is the music of, of these folks. 
and see them as this is a sound. This is a type of music that we are selling, we we enjoy, and we hope you will too. Um, and and I've, I think we've seen that because we all have impressions sometimes, not, you know, whether they're good, indifferent, or, 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 or bad, uh, about um, a person, culture, whatever, because we don't know enough to know any better, um, and, and we need to educate ourselves. But when you when you get a presentation of a style, especially when it comes to a group of artists who are delivering a type of music which was unseen before like this, I think, you know, when you look at the 60s musicians, um, it was really phenomenal. And everybody said, you know, this is the way we were croon you and sell you. Yeah, honestly, it's so fantastic when we hear something compiled like this, you know, that, that uh, clip from the Associated Press, which is just... Uh, incredible because you think hey i know that song and i know that song and i know this song and and you almost don't even recognize uh that this is all from the same people the same group the same genres the 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 whatever it is but it's really that connection i almost think of it as like the spotify algorithm thing uh when spotify or other streaming services they put together stuff that you might like and it's presented that way that makes you think oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally would have never put that together myself. Um, but this is, as you said initially, that archive of wonderful music being put together by um, people, not put together, but created and produced by people that was dedicated to a genre, to a time in history. Uh, and now it is, it's classic, right? It's Motown and it's classic and it's wonderful that we keep celebrating and recognizing um uh, obviously, we're we're talking about a, a passing here, but nonetheless, it's to remember the music. Oh, it's just amazing when you really think about it, and uh, you know, and and really what people have uh, have been able to do around. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about something uh, different, Kels. Starting this Saturday, the first Canadian International Festival that celebrates the work of women in dance from African and Afro diasporic. Um, uh, culture gets underway. And we want to talk more about this today with artistic director uh, Lua Shayan. Lua, did, am I pronouncing your name right? Yes, Lua Shayan. That's correct. Lua Shayan. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, Kelly and Company. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, we're excited to talk to you. And we're talking about Yensa. So it takes place this Saturday. It's the uh, festival that I'm uh, that I referred to in our introduction, and it runs through to August 28th. So where how are you feeling? How are you feeling about the excitement level about this um, coming down and, and coming to fruition and people coming out to check out this incredible uh, and probably very historical event? Yes, absolutely. This is our inaugural uh, year, so it is special. But I also think that it's important to point out that it's also a year of learning, right? And, mm-hmm. and I mean, all the years will be years of learning because God forbid we would stay static and uh, not take the opportunity, you know, to learn, develop, grow, change. So, uh, but yes, it's it's uh, quite special. Uh, it is. It has never been done in Canada. Um, it is a biannual festival, and uh, you know we we are going to be working hard to, you know, grow bigger. Uh, but you know we're starting at the grassroots level. Uh, we're starting with Toronto first, uh, Ontario, and uh, uh, Canada. You know we do have some international artists that are featured as well. 
Um, uh, but of course, the focus starts at home within the community. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, from the small to you know big, and you know the focus is definitely Regent Park and downtown Toronto East. Uh, and uh, this way, there's a little bit of focus, but at the same time, we're inviting everyone to come and celebrate, uh, even from outside of Canada, since we have uh, an event that's live streamed. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, wonderful, and congratulations on it being the first. Can you tell us, though, about the festival name? It's called Yensa. What does this mean? Yes, uh, Yensa uh, in uh, my native language, which is Fanti, means let's dance. And uh, I nice. consulted with my mom, uh, and I, you know, I wanted ideas. I wanted to understand uh, if there was, you know, a name that uh, was rooted could be rooted into my culture, uh, and uh, she made this fantastic suggestion. So Yensa means let's dance, and Yenka means let's talk. So our public oh. talk, obviously, is called Yenka, yes. That's oh, that's correct. really beautiful. <laughs> so, you, you know, you're uh, going back to the inspiration and used consulting with your mom and wanting to really bring your own identity into this and, and even what you said, mm-hmm. tying in about learning. Um, why this kind of festival? Why dance um, is, is one of the big forefronts and even the location? You know, you're talking downtown Toronto um, and areas that you mentioned in eastern Toronto as well. Why those places? Yes, well, dance, because I myself am a dancer, choreographer. Uh, again, when I say dance, I also want to be sure that we are expanding on that word because it's only a Western-centric notion that dance does not include music, it doesn't include song, and it doesn't include words or actions, a.k.a. theater in the, <laughs> in, in the Western yeah. uh, you know, understanding of what dance should be. Uh, but I do think that we, uh, especially in this contemporary dance, on the, in, yeah, in the contemporary dancing in Toronto, there is a huge understanding that, you know, uh, it, it really is performing arts, um, but it does start with movement, let's put it that way. Um, I, in terms of this particular festival highlighting Black women, it really came out of many conversations that I had, um, you know, you go to an event and you... Uh, bump into all these very busy black women <laughs> who are, you know, producing, choreographing, creating, uh, performing, etc. And uh, the conversations are are the same around, you know, uh, exposure, the lack of existing platforms, and it just became clear to me that this this is this is what we need. This is what we've needed for a long time. And um, what was your second question in terms of uh, uh, relating to the festival? You said uh, why dance and then? Uh, Why dance and the the locations that you chose? um, I was just curious about that. Yes. Yeah. And so related to that is the fact that uh, Lua Shine Dance Company that is producing uh, the, the the festival, Yensa Festival, is located um, in the east side. And uh, we are quite new to Regent Park. And, uh, you know, our part of a pre-festival activities were uh, community dance works that, that uh, we hosted at the Regent Park Community Center. And uh, so for us, like for me, it's, it's about learning how, how do I understand what a community needs 
um, and how to bring art to a community. So, you know, again, I we're, we're, we're trying things out, you know. Um, so we, we offered all these community workshops, and now, you know, we are also expanding to Toronto Metropolitan University with more workshops. And then the workshop, the, the performances, sorry, um, and one workshop comes back to uh, Regional Park and then Spectrum. Um, and we're offering two nights of, uh, you know, amazing, amazing performances on August 26th and 27th. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll have a big celebration uh, on August 28th in Daniel Spectrum. And the idea is really to start learning and understanding um, the, the community and uh, what what really what, what what can we do to bring the community together through arts? I I definitely do not pretend that you know I I know what the community needs. It really is a listening process, and we are quite new to the area. Um, but we were very uh, blessed to have the support of the Daniel Corporation, uh, who has been, you know, uh, uh, partnering with us for the community workshops. Um, and, um, yeah, I, you know, we're starting one step at a time. I think that that's how it is. It's, uh, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's on one hand, there's a listening, and then on the other hand, there's proposing. You know, we propose activities and we see how it goes. And so far, so great. Wow. That's going to be amazing. And the feedback mm-hmm. that you get as you observe it. And I think for all, all of us, you know, people coming out to attend, to observe, the diversity is going to be something else, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in Regent Park, there's a huge diversity. Uh, but even, you know, uh, both Cabbage Town and Leslieville, uh, you know, to the right and to the left. <laughs> uh, and then Chinatown to, you know, to the north. So I, I think... You know, it's interesting. Someone asked me, oh, well, it's a black women festival. Can I come? <laughs> and obviously that person was not a black woman. And I said, well, just because we are celebrating a certain group, it doesn't mean that everybody should not be included. Um, we are celebrating black women because of the lack of existing platforms that they've had to be seen because they've been relegated for so long, you know, to the back, even, <laughs> you know, way, way back, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I I think it's pretty obvious why it's a Black women uh, dance festival. Um, and um, I don't feel that we need to justify or explain. But I think um, it is also important for folks to understand that uh, it's it's not about just black women. It's about culture. It's about uh, a sh- a sh- a showcasing different styles and genres, different artistic practices, different ways of expression. And it's about learning and uh, listening to our voices, but also making offerings. And it's also about support. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we are creating an environment where hopefully many conversations will be had. And mm-hmm. uh, that's why it's open to children, you know, to youth, to adults. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a celebration for everyone. 
It is, and people have um, all kinds of responses. I'm assuming because of the, uh, you know, how invitational this is, and how everyone can come out and really learn. I and mean, we've learned so much from this conversation alone. Can you please tell us where mm-hmm. we can go to uh, find out more information to get the details on how we can attend? Absolutely, uh, yensafestival.com. Y e n s a festival.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it and all the best um, through August for, for this celebration you. and for the response. Thank you. Thank you. Please come and support. Uh, we are mm-hmm. super excited to see everyone. And uh, also, I think I should probably add this. We are not turning anyone away for lack of means. Uh, feel free to email us at info at com if you want a discount or if your finances don't allow you to, you know, pay for the tickets, uh, we want to make sure that this festival is accessible to all. Amazing. Appreciate that. Uh, all the best and we'll chat soon. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we were speaking with the artistic director of the Yensa Festival, Lou Cheyenne, uh, first Canadian international festival that celebrates the work of Black women in dance from African and Afro-diasporic cultures. Uh, really, really exciting. And this is going on starting this Saturday and through August. So check it out. All right. And good luck to them all, everyone participating and everyone checking out and uh, give them the, your feedback. Coming up in just a moment, let's listen to a wellness conversation that we had with our wellness contributor, Francis Wong, who is away this week. But we've still got a conversation for you. Stick around. Welcome back to Kelly and Company. Rum Yamuth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show. At Rum, we have Jeffrey Rainey joining us a little later on to talk on our collections and hobby segment, but he tossed an email to me in response to our Motown discussion a little bit earlier, and he pointed out about the song War, a very interesting song. Mm-hmm. It's uh, War, What Is It Good For? Originally uh, recorded by The Temptations and was actually released, but not as a hit single. Now, the group itself was a little worried that it might alienate some of its audience, both black and white, who were pro-Vietnam War at the time. Thus, it was assigned to Edmund Starr. And it turned out to be the song that gave him his big break. Now, we know that that song uh, would associate him with that kind of power protest song. So, very interesting. Thanks, Jeff, for the the little note, too, especially as we we reference the temptations uh, in our conversations here on the program. Now let's dive into a a repeat of a wellness segment as Francis Wong is not available. This is from May 31st. Tips to stay healthy while traveling. Take a listen. So COVID restrictions have loosened up a bit and summer is around the corner. It practically feels like it here in Toronto. Uh, There is a lot of pent up demand for travel. We're so itching and eager to travel again, uh, take road trips and fly after being mostly housebound for the last two years. And this is exactly how I feel, at least, Francis. <laughs> yeah, I can understand, Ram. Yeah, we're on a theme here, um, talking about keeping moving and active and travel definitely fits the bill. Um, I think it's clear that there is a strong demand for travel, especially if you've been seeing and hearing all the news uh, reports of the long waits at the airports. 
since it's likely been a while that most people have traveled, I thought we could talk about some of the things that we can do to make our trip as smooth as possible while staying healthy at the same time, because we know that it is really no fun to be sick while on vacation. Uh, we know that chronic stress can lead to illness, but why add unnecessary stress to your life if it's avoidable? Even though traveling for vacation can be fun, the lead up to the trip itself can be stressful, but there are ways mm. that we can reduce that stress. And one of the ways we can do that is by planning the trip out in advance. Unless you have no time constraints and therefore no pressure, it's highly recommended that you pre-book your accommodations ahead of time, as well as particular tourist attractions that are must-sees so that you aren't disappointed and scrambling or wasting time at your destination lining up to purchase tickets. Are either of you the type of person who plans out the trip ahead of time or are you more relaxed about the destination and then kind of figure out what's there to see and do once you arrive? Mm, I like to know because that would be the only reason I'd go somewhere. It, it's, there's got to <laughs> yeah. be stuff that interests me. I mean, I love, but I'm interested and I know if I didn't, I'd still find stuff interesting if I was going somewhere and said, ah, I have time to kill. I'll go find something to do. I'm working mm-hmm. on being more relaxed, but there is so much like so many questions that come with, uh, you know, accommodations or I, I don't know the the way that this trip is going to feel as a person with a disability. So yeah, definitely planning is more my how I lean. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. While I said it's good to plan, at the same time, I'd also recommend that it because it is a vacation and a time to relax, you don't want to pack your schedule full of things to do. Yeah. If you've got one thing after another lined up, there can be a bit of additional stress and pressure to make sure that you hit every attraction or event on time. So, for example, if you're in New York City and you want to dine out at a certain restaurant, which, of course, you've already made reservations for, and then you want to go see a musical on Broadway, leave yourself plenty of time between your meetings and the show so you're not rushing through dinner and then not fully enjoying that experience just so that you can rush it to make it on time for the show. And another tip here is I think um, I would recommend, you know, find a restaurant close to the theater and not halfway across Manhattan. So you're eliminating the (laughs) risk of traffic jams or constructions to get across town. This is probably even more relevant if you're traveling with kids. No one needs the added stress of rushing from one place to another, especially if your child has a bathroom accident and then you need extra time to wash up and change clothing, et cetera, et cetera. So having some free time blocked into your schedule will allow you to have some breathing room for unforeseen events. And I should also probably distinguish a trip trip versus an all-inclusive beach destination holiday like Mexico, where the whole point of that trip is to relax at the resort, and then your food and accommodation are pretty much taken care of. So if that's the type of vacation you're after, then the amount of stress pre-trip is significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of planning ahead, like booking that accommodation and, and tickets before your trip, is you know, before your trip is underway, of course, it it seems like the most sensible thing to do. Now, how about tips before the actual travel day? Good question, Kelly. We're still going to tackle minimizing stress as a priority. Try to pack as much of your items that you need ahead of time. Don't leave things to the night before when it's easy to panic (laughs) and wonder where is that particular item? Um, Or, (laughs) you know, maybe you found out that you got out of your Yeah, your favorite shampoo, and then it's too late to go buy more as the stores have already closed for the night. And then if you tend to go on last-minute trips, consider having an extra toiletry bag that's packed and always ready to go so that you can just toss that into your luggage and it's just one less item to worry about. 
Another important factor related to staying healthy is sleep. We've done a whole segment on the importance of sleep, and this definitely comes into play, especially if you're flying across multiple time zones. Obviously, you would be so well organized that you're not packing your bags at 3 a.m. for a 7 a.m. flight, right? <laughs> so <laughs> this will mean that you'll get a full good night's sleep before your trip the next day. And one of the reasons that it's so important is that you don't want to start off your trip already in a sleep deficit. Yeah, I feel like you're telling this right to me uh, just a little bit. Well, it's because she probably figures that you'll sleep or I can sleep on the train, the bus, the play, whatever yeah. it might be. And now you don't know that. Example. Yeah. yeah, it's true. And it is a compounded um, issue because you're not packed. Then you're packing and doing laundry. Oh, no, not doing laundry. I've done that way ahead of time. But let's just say as a hypothetical, you're doing laundry. It's 3 a.m. Then your flight's 7. You got to be at the airport by 5. Whoa. Now you're uh, sleep deprived. You're not packed. And you have no clue if you left anything behind because you didn't even think about it. And you're minute. grumpy. And they right. love that on airlines. <laughs> yeah, we put another passenger right. off. Oh my God, so brutal. Okay, so let's just hope we're we're you know taking all that into consideration. And how about during the flight, train, bus, or car ride portion of the actual trips? Any tips there? Yes. So hydration is key as well, especially on flights where the air tends to be dry. So while there may be offers of alcohol and caffeine, try to limit that or skip it altogether and just stick with water. A good idea is to pack your own water bottle so you can refill water as you need to on the go. And then it's also a reminder to yourself to stay hydrated throughout the day, especially if you're having so much fun in the sun, you forget to drink. Speaking of sun, make sure you've got sunscreen with you as the last thing you want is a painful sunburn on your holidays. And then if it's a particularly long flight, try grabbing an aisle seat so you can get up every hour or two to do a quick walk up and down the aisle to get your blood flowing, especially since we know how bad it is to sit for so long. When you guys are flying, what is your go-to food if you're hungry? Do you bring your own snacks or do you eat what's offered on the plane? Mm. Yeah, we were talking about this with, uh, I think, Billy and Jeff last week, week before. It's interesting that we have to take care of ourselves so much when it comes to food while traveling. But also, my thought is, I don't want to be eating um, too exotic, you know, too unfamiliar, blah, blah, blah. So maybe trail mix. Like, I like getting the things with nuts and seeds and uh, dried fruit because that feels like the least amount of problems well yeah yeah i find <laughs> as a big guy as a blind person i have limited space to work with on an airplane as it is yeah. so the simpler the easier i don't want stuff to suddenly move and go on my the table side i don't want things like on yogurt my lap. probably not good idea yeah. mm. maybe mm. i'm okay with certain it's some of the things that roll you know if they say here's your, here's your food <laughs> what do you mean the green peas are <laughs> see you later <laughs> all right green beans, well i think me. I think that we can all agree that airplane food is also not the most appetizing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Usually we think of bland, reheated meals, and there are actually scientific reasons as to why that's the case. Yeah. In 2010, Fraunhofer Institute for Building Physics conducted a series of tests on behalf of Lufthansa Airlines on how the taste of food and drink change based on different flight conditions. So at 10,000 meters or 30,000 feet in the air, the cabin humidity drops by 15%. Less humidity means passengers get more thirsty more easily, and then with less moisture in the throat, that means the sense of smell and taste are also dulled. 
And then in addition to lower humidity, the air pressure in the cabin also drops. And the combination of both translates to a reduction of scents and smell by 30%, which is why salt wow. and seasoning is commonly added to airplane meals. So I don't know if you might want to rethink some of the nuts that you're packing on your trip from. Yeah. Um, Somebody okay. stole all the salt off of these. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we end up in this vicious cycle where the salty food makes you thirsty and then you're already in a very dry environment. So right. the best way to avoid that is to um, is to avoid getting a bit too much salt and to offset dehydration is to bring your own snacks that you, as you can control what you bring on board. And then better yet is if you aren't hungry and don't need to eat on the plane, then avoid it altogether. So <laughs> let's talk about the possibility for a moment i thought you were gonna say well they didn't want people's stomachs getting funny depending on the flight so less seasoning or something like that making people feel ill but no matter what for for a lot of us there's at least the jet lag uh anything you've got tips wise to overcome that yes actually it goes back to an earlier point which is the importance of sleep if you're flying east, try to adjust to the schedule a few days prior to your flight by going to bed a couple of hours earlier. And then if you're flying west, where you gain a couple of hours, you can try to stay up later. But then don't just adjust the sleeping end, also wake up accordingly. And then speaking of not eating on the plane, airline stewards use this trick to avoid jet lag, which is to not eat during flights. Melissa Biggs-Bradley, a frequent flyer, commented in a Bloomberg article that when you're at super, at super high altitudes, your digestive system basically shuts down. And then when you get off the plane, everything restarts. Since your digestive system was on a break, now it has a lot of work to do, making you feel more tired. I'm not sure if that claim has been proven, but I know that after several hours of flying, I do feel really tired. I'm the complete opposite. I feel so hungry on airplanes. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm not eating too much beforehand. How do you make the most of your time once you've arrived at your destination? Oh, what comes to me top of mind is, of course, again, hydration and staying hydrated throughout the trip. If you've traveled across time zones, take it easy the first couple of days so that your body has a chance to adjust to the new time zone and to recover from jet lag. If you're going to a less developed country, you'll want to make sure that the foods you eat are properly cooked and that you avoid raw vegetables and dairy. Check ahead of time whether the local tap water is safe and consider purchasing bottled water so that you don't catch a stomach bug. And also be mindful of ice cubes and drinks as the ice is often from tap water, so hold the ice. And then don't forget to use bottled water when you're brushing your teeth if you're in an area where the water is potentially contaminated. If you're at a resort where it's an all-you-can-eat buffet each and every day, like you went to Mexico and you did that resort thing, highly recommend moderation. You don't want to avoid you want to avoid overeating so that you're not clutching your stomach for several hours after your meal in agony. And then, of course, if you overeat, you're going to probably feel sluggish or sleepy and then unmotivated to move after a heavy meal. Speaking Any, of moving, right. go ahead. Ryan. No, you go ahead. There, I'll let you get in there with that. Speaking of moving, um, try not to use your vacation as an excuse to drop your exercise routine. Right. We talked recently about how easy it is to fall off the wagon and not get back on. So stay active. And it doesn't have to be a full workout routine unless you feel like using the hotel gym. Simple things like walking or cycling instead of taking a cab will help you feel re-energized. Awesome. Okay. Uh, any other tips for staying healthy on the trip? 
Yeah, this trip is more of a preventative one. It's a good idea to have around the house or in the car, but especially if you're traveling. Consider packing a small first aid kit with things like band-aids and aspirin, maybe some insect repellent and sunscreen and aloe vera for gel for sunburns. While you can likely purchase these things at your destination, it's much uh, handier having them at your disposal. And then you're also not taking time out of your trip to hunt these items down. A little bit of preparedness goes a long way towards smooth sailing for your trip. Amazing, Francis. Well, thank you so much for bringing this to us. We covered, uh, you know, the pre, the during, and the post. So lots to think about. And hydration and sleep are a big part of all of it. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Thanks, guys. From May 31st, Francis Wong joining us. We do our wellness segment every couple of weeks opposite our nutrition segment with Janet, uh, <laughs> with Julia Carantis, folks, here on Kelly and Company. That was tips to stay healthy while traveling. Wealthy? Healthy while traveling. It's the W battle again, folks. Coming up next on the program, one-third of Ontarians... Haven't had an eye exam in over three years, and many think eyewear is just simply not affordable. We learn a little bit more about what Spec Savers is doing to combat this in two minutes on Kelly and Company. Right here on AMI-audio this Saturday on The Pulse, folks, we uh, they're going to be starting a uh, three-part profile, and it's going to be handling those inductees into the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame, starting with Paralympian Josh Dweck. That's The Pulse this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific, on AMI-audio, also available to you as a podcast. Kelly McDonald here with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. Let's talk about spec savers. So one third of Ontarians having have not had an eye exam in over three years. And you can think that this has to do with the pandemic, with all these other things. But also many people think that eyewear is not affordable uh, as a general thought. So what is spec savers doing to help combat this uh, mindset and the availability and affordability of eyewear? Well, let's learn about it with Naomi Barber, Director of Optometry for Spec Savers Canada. Naomi, thank you for coming on Kelly and Company. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So Tell us a little bit about Specsavers, um, first of all, before we get started on the specifics of the current state of people uh, getting glasses and getting eye exams. What do you guys do? Sure. Well, we're really uh, interested in opening access to eye care, so ensuring that as many people as possible um, are crossing the threshold to see optometrists in an affordable way, and of course, cost tends to be the biggest barrier. So at Specsavers, what we're doing is we're investing $50 million um, to contribute to the opening of high-tech optometry clinics and optical stores. Um, And we're looking to open 100 practice locations across Ontario in the next couple of years. So this is uh, the first 
step, if you like, of ensuring that there are practice locations in all locations. So uh, metro, metropolitan Ontario, but also in regional locations, city locations, and uh, we're able to offer accessible um, and affordable care. Awesome. That's amazing. And that's, I, I don't want to say lofty because, well, it is a lot of money, but a lot of uh, incredible equipment certainly going to be installed, be made available. So, Naomi, if we look at the last few years has been tough with the pandemic, maybe we can say, okay, that's a reason people aren't getting their eyes checked out. But what are some of the other reasons that people just don't go to get their eyes examined? Yeah, we were we were actually so surprised looking at the the results from the poll. One third of Ontarians, um, you know, not having had an eye exam in over three years, and we know that there is a level of provincial insurance cover for mm-hmm. eye exams, um, but that this, there's still you know um, limitations, I guess, to to patients accessing care. So the pandemic certainly had a lot to do with it. We know that optometrists are working incredibly hard in the province of Ontario to service patients, um, but that it is really hard. There's wait times of two to three to four and sometimes more more weeks uh, to get in to see an optometrist just for a standard eye exam. So it's really wow. important that we help to break down that, that wait time barrier um, and start to really focus on preventative eye care. Part of that, of course, comes down to cost, cost both of the service of the examination, but also the cost of glasses um, and spectacle and contact lens uh, prescriptions. You know, there's, a, there's, I think, a big concern out there in the population. Um, some, of, some of the more elite level um, glasses can come out at $1,000. Uh, that is not something that every Ontarian can afford and certainly not um, at routine frequency. So we're really, really heavily investing to ensure we can leverage our size and our scale to bring down the cost of glasses to ensure it's at an affordable level for patients. It's really um, interesting because not all of us are cognizant of the the compounded effect of why we don't get eye exams, right? Like it's very easy to be like, well, nothing was open um, or, you know, we don't have yeah. the time. But there are all these different reasons that add one on top of another to to have like a whole a slew of people, you know, one third of us who say we we haven't done it yet. Uh, and we don't even know how long that that will be lasting and how long that effect can uh, how badly that effect will you know sit with us so how crucial are the exams um that we're talking about the eye exams and and making sure we get them done yeah such a great question and this is i think one of the biggest pieces which is the awareness of the importance of an eye exam that yes it's about correcting vision um perhaps if there's symptoms or a problem or or people are experiencing vision problems but that actually the majority of major eye health conditions that can cause sight loss begin and progress with no signs or symptoms so people are not aware they're in trouble Um, or they're at risk until actually eye diseases have developed to a late stage, whether that's glaucoma, um, complications relating to diabetes, or or conditions such as age-related macular degeneration. So a really key part of of what we are um, focused on is investment in a device called an OCT, standing for optical coherence tomography. And this is something we include in every clinic and we perform for every patient as part of the standard eye exam. 
What this enables our optometrists to do is to detect the earliest signs of eye diseases well before they become a problem for, for patients. And this, of course, then starts to engage us in a much more proactive conversation with patients about better protecting their vision for the long term and also the importance of returning to see optometrists on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. And that combined with affordability, because we must make it affordable for, for patients to engage, is really at the heart of, of what we're passionate about doing. When you talk about affordability, it makes me think, who is most in jeopardy here? Who's most at risk for these eye diseases? Do we think about it uh, related to people in economic status or more related to uh, other health conditions? Or, or is just everyone got to be vigilant? Uh, ultimately, I guess the simple answer is everybody needs to be vigilant. And of course, lots of things come into play. So certainly socioeconomic status can have an impact definitely genetics and family history and what sits in your your family history uh, plays into that. Um, but ultimately, if we were able to break that cycle and actually bring people in to see an optometrist for an eye exam to examine the health of their eyes routinely, irrespective of their risk level, we would better be able to then triage patients. So that, that is ensure patients who need it most are seen regularly uh, at, a, at an appropriate time frame, and those who are in good eye health and um, on a good trajectory are able to maintain that over the course of their life, um, which of course has huge economic benefits as well, just in general for the population, um, ensuring that people are not losing their sight when it's preventable. So, Naomi, you talked about the fifty thousand, uh, fifty million, sorry, dollars uh, that Specsaver is um, investing into healthcare, and that specifically in the state of the art um, medical equipment. Can you explain what the equipment is, or how this um, particular chunk of money will be able to help in that respect? Yeah, absolutely. Funnily enough, the $50 million investment absolutely is in technology, uh, clinical technology in particular, to ensure mm -hmm. every patient gets a high standard of care. But actually underneath that, it's an investment in people. So the way that Specsavers operates is we are what we call a joint venture partnership. So we're investing in qualified opticians and qualified optometrists work together to service patients and what we do is we invest in this equipment so that optometrists are not needing to foot huge loans for, for devices and equipment and therefore we're able to offer affordable prices both across eye examinations and across um, you know products so in terms of spectacles and contact lenses so it really is enabling qualified individuals in their own communities to build their patient uh, database to start to service their communities with all the skills that they have leaning into a framework of really solid clinical technology that is updated as we learn more about these diseases and as we know what is diagnostically most effective for patients. Amazing. Well, Naomi, thank you so much for taking the time joining us today. We got a wrap, but can you tell us before we go where we can go for more information? Absolutely. So you're able to um, contact us at our website and our, that is um, www.specsavers.ca.com 
and um, and that that will uh, help you to get all the information you need. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, really important uh, for us to think about these things and also great that the assistance and support is being stretched even further. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Naomi Barber is the Director of Optometry for Specsavers Canada and we were talking about their recent investment to enhance outcomes for eye health care and reduce preventable blindness and redefine accessible eye care. We've got the next hour of Kelly and Company Ahead where we speak to award-winning sketch comedian and popular TikToker Laura Ramoso about her new live comedy special that gets underway Thursday. On our Collections and Hobbies segment, Jeffrey Rainey brings us uh, a little bit about his collection of cars. We get to talk about that, but up next, comedian reporter Julie Martin uh, drops in and she's got her report, second one of the week. Comedian reporter, start our second hour. you're hanging in folks we appreciate you being with us second hour of kelly and company Ramya Muthan, kelly mcdonald host of the show if you want to uh check us out maybe you want to give us a message give us a call 1-866-509-4545 easiest way to do this and if you would mention it's for kelly and company whatever you might want to tell us about we'd love to hear you and if we can we'll play it on the air folks 1-866-509-4545 but you do have to give us permission to do so. Feedback at AMI.ca. Maybe you've got questions that you'd like to ask about AMI-TV, AMI-Tele, or Accessible Media Inc. in general, or AMI-Audio. Feel free. Feedback at AMI.ca and one of the gang in communications and marketing can help you out with that. On Twitter, she's at AllRams with a Z. I'm at AMI-KellyMac. And, of course, you can follow along at AMI-Audio. That's the handle there, at AMI-Audio, to see what's coming up from segment to segment on the program. On Mondays and Tuesdays, we get a chance to visit with our community reporters. That's when we try to schedule them in to begin the top of our second hour. Today, we're meeting with Julie Martin, our community reporter from Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Welcome back to the show, Julie. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you. How are you two doing? Having a good show. Uh, incredible conversations today, Ram. Yeah, absolutely. Lots for us to take notes on, Julie. Okay. <laughs> so, Including your report. I'm I was just going to say, notes. yeah, well, we are too right now. And starting with small world, your first topic. Yeah. Um, small world is a miniature animal farm that's run by a couple and their daughter. It's free of charge. There is, a, however, a donation box there on site if you'd like to give a donation. And I normally wouldn't talk about this simply because, you know, it is on a farm and it's not easily accessible. However, if you just pull into the driveway, they will bring animals to you, which I thought was just lovely. So they have emus and llamas and miniature um, donkeys and miniature horses and fainting goats, guinea pigs, rabbits, pot-bellied peacocks. I mean, there's just a, a plethora of animals there. But there's something about holding those furry little rabbits 
and when I sat in the field, the llamas came up one on either side and laid down beside me so I could pet them. Wow. I mean, it was just beautiful, just beautiful. And, you know, you're out in the country and the sights and the smells and the noises and and then these furry little warm bodies to snuggle with. It was a thoroughly enjoyable experience, and I highly recommend it. Um, if you look um, on your, um, if you go into your, what's that thing called? When you're looking for directions. Your map you, you or your map in, app um, or, yeah. Yeah, or, or yeah, GPS, yeah. Thanks, GPS. Kelly. So yeah. GPS, yeah. that's the yeah. word I was looking for. Um, and you put in Green Hill Provincial Park in Pictou County. Um, it will direct you to the provincial park, and that is on your left. And if you continue on down that road, it's a great big right red barn with a small um, house. And there's a sign outside. Um, there were several people there every time we've been, and it, it really is just a lovely, lovely experience. It sounds really um, accessible. Wonderful okay. drive out in the country. And, yeah, Sundays 1 till 4. Okay. Sounds incredibly accessible, especially like you said, if you pulled up in a vehicle, they can bring the animals, especially if someone has that, you know, they can't maybe if they have a wheelchair that can't navigate the grounds there or anything like that. It, it sounds amazing. So since exactly. we're taking notes, Julie, let's put you on the spot. What was the, your favorite animal? Which one did you enjoy the most? And, <laughs> you know, I know you've been able to see, you know what they, they look like, um, but as, as vision changes for you and everything, um, and for some people who've never had, what an experience to be able to say, oh, that's what an emu is. Oh, wow. What was the your favorite That's experience? what it feels like, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, it was definitely the, the donkeys, the miniature donkeys, because it brought back memories of when I was a kid and having donkey rides on the beach when we would go to the seaside on the weekends because we do that in England. So I loved being around the donkeys and telling the kids my stories of, when I was little, um, but the llamas, I did something about those llamas. They, they they're so they're like dinosaurs. Like they're like a throwback <laughs> to a dinosaur. I think. I think they're just adorable. And they yeah. lean down and so that you so can cute. you can touch them. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, they came and hmm. laid right beside me, right beside me. Wow. It was just beautiful. Wow. One black wow. and one white. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah. I, I will tell you, you you still have till the 15th of August. If you want to go to Florida and catch a Burmese python, they're still doing those out there in the Everglades. You could stomp around. <laughs> Are we really uh, recruiting, like helping recruit for that, Kels? They'll, they'll wrap right yeah, around exactly. you. They're constrictors. They'd love to see you. And you know what? They're not Use a really, stick. They're not deadly to humans unless, I guess, they put the squeeze on you. Uh, I'm not going to find out. I'm yeah, not gonna... Well, you know what? No, me neither. They give me a heart attack just seeing one. So, yeah, I, I disagree. They are deadly to humans. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put all exactly. this up on, and we'll put all this up on the blog, mi.ca slash Kelly Co. They don't have to be Thank deadly. You. They could be around to be deadly. So, um, yeah. Julie, the next one is Intro to Kitten Kriya Meditation. What's this about? Yes. This is another free program that's being put on by the new Glasgow Library. And, you know, everybody's talking about the extra stress in our lives these days. And I don't know about that, but COVID's rampant again around here and everybody's getting nervous. And, and 
we're told, you know, meditate and and find things that you enjoy. And but if you don't know how to meditate, it, you know, you might want some guidance. And this is a new one for me. I haven't heard of this one before. Um, so it's August. It's Tuesday, August twenty third is the first class um, from two till three in the afternoon at New Glasgow Library. Um, and of course, meditation, you know, it's going to calm our mind, body, spirit, the whole kit and caboodle, and we'll just be happy as larks, dancing yeah. around in the meadow with the llamas. <laughs> yes, ex- so, except again, in our you know, mind's eye, right? Yeah, yeah, in my mind's eye, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, again, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, if it's something you're interested in and you'd like to try give it a shot and enjoying it. yeah and i'm enjoying just the uh all the different introduction to meditation that people are putting out there now like this seems to be really something i don't like using the word trend for this because i think that meditation is and yoga and all these different ways to keep physically active but also mindful are more than just trends um but you know what i mean like people are really talking more and more about this julie and and it's showing up in all different places um accessibility in mind and just everywhere everybody uh, is seeming to know more about meditation in general which is very lovely it really is. It's It's been a long time coming where we've focused just as much on our mental health as we do on our physical health. So yeah. I'm really, I'm, I'm, I think it's wonderful. And this is accessible as well. I spoke to the instructor and she said um, it's something that can be done from a sitting position if your mobility is poor. And the directions are very clear and concise if, if you cannot follow with your eyes. So... Okay. Okay, great. And it's free as well, which is also accessible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Free is the best, right? Mm hmm. Uh, you know, one of the other cool things, and again, we'll put contact information, the phone number up on the uh, blog, folks, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. Uh, one of the other wonderful things to experience, I think, is is music and what better place than on the waterfront. you want to tell us about this, Julie? Oh, yeah. Um. Sound therapy is becoming a huge thing as well now. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. But this is just wonderful. At the Pictorial Waterfront, um, they have um, music there every Sunday and Monday evening from 6 to 8. Um, There's Celtic, rhythm and blues. I mean, just a whole different, you know, different genres, but all toe-tapping music. You can sit, listen to the music, chat with friends, watch the book going by. There's a lovely, lovely um, crepe takeout um, stand on the wharf and treat yourself to a delicious dessert while you sit and listen to the music. And there's a little farmer's market as well, so you can, you know, visit the butcher, the baker and the candlestick maker while you're there. <laughs> and again, it's free. There's no, there's no charge. So it's just another. You know, you're looking for something to do after supper. Go enjoy some peace and uh, not quiet, obviously, because there's music. But that calm and into the water and the music, and you're going to feel better. Wow, for sure. 
to breathe, have your goodies, uh, even a snack or something while you're there. And Andy, what kind of music? Is is it quite a variety? You never know what's going to be there? It is. I mean, there's always a, a fiddle going. I mean, nice. it's Nova Scotia. You can't have yeah. music in Nova Scotia without a fiddle, right? Um, last week when we went, there was somebody playing the bagpipes, which I have to admit is not my favorite instrument. Um, but, you know, there was a, a, a duo singing rhythm and blues. Um, he was on the guitar, she was singing. And um, it was just, it's just lovely. It's just lovely. Yeah, it um, sounds like quite, it. You know, it's not, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, as we were talking about Motown earlier, I'm not sure you'd throw the fiddle in there, but I'm sure it would be kind of interesting to to try that and to have that as an augmented feel out there uh, on the waterfront of Pictou County. Uh, thank you so much, Julie. Always wonderful to hear you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to speak to you, too, as well. Talk to you Stay next safe. month. Yeah, you take care, yes. too, Julie. Bye. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next month. Folks, we always visit with our community reporters, Julie from uh, Pictou County, Nova Scotia. And if you want to check out the blog, mi.ca slash Kelly Co., that's where you find all the things she spoke about today. We speak with award-winning sketch comedian Laura Ramoso in just a couple of moments about her new live comedy special that gets underway Thursday. We'll find out all about it, so stick around after this break. Remember, if you can't be with us for the live Kelly and Company show at 2 p.m. Eastern or at, uh, of course, at 5 p.m. for the repeat, check out the Kelly and Company podcast where you can listen to the show in its complete form. We throw in an audio vanity card when we uh, produce that and make that available to you after the live show, as well as you can listen to the show in segment form. Maybe you have a contributor that you heard and you want to hear that segment again or a special guest. Uh, please just simply subscribe your favorite Kelly and Company show and use your favorite podcast platform. Ramya Muthan over there. I'm Kelly McDonald. Here we are back with the next segment here on Kelly and Company. That's right. And we're checking with a lot of different people today, Kels. Right now we're checking in with award-winning sketch comedian and popular TikToker, Laura Ramoso, because we want to learn about her new live comedy special that gets underway on Thursday. That's like uh, just in a couple of days. Laura, welcome to Kelly and Company. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to talking to you and uh, learning about your upcoming event. So first of all, how do you feel uh, as your show gets underway in just a couple of days? Oh, um, you know, I heard you introduce the segment and I heard you say which, uh, I heard you say that it opens on Thursday, which is just in a couple of days and my heart just <laughs> <laughs> dropped. I mean, I yeah. know that it's been coming, but it's, it's really crazy to hear to hear that, and it's finally here. And I'm excited, honestly. I'm excited. Okay, that's awesome. Laura, tell me, I'm curious about when we talk about TikTok, we talk about different platforms nowadays that, you know, years back, it wasn't necessarily the way people either got discovered or could utilize to market themselves in so many different ways and instantaneously rocket up there. Um, can you talk a little bit about 
that uh, that online presence and what it's done it, for you and people knowing all about what you're doing and how you curtail your your performance or what you post out there um, on TikTok. Yeah, great question. Um, well, uh, I know that uh, I think overall many people can kind of rag on TikTok because you know social media does has does have its negative side. Um, but I will say TikTok and Instagram and the ability to get content out there without permission from, say, a network or or uh, a service um, it has really – well, for me, it changed my career. It, it, it gave me the ability to be a comedian full-time um, because, uh, yeah, I just created, started making videos and got better and better, and then it's, people seem to like them. So now it's my full-time job. Um, so I would have never had that um, – at least in this sort of way, had it not been for these online platforms. And creativity is interesting because whether you're a writer, whether you're writing your content and then performing it, you you can get those moments where, boy, I'm really not feeling it today. I don't really, but when you feel it, it could just pour out of you and you could be making literally video after video because you're inspired. Without any kind of holdup, I'm not sure. I think we lost you. Let's see if we get you back there, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is one of the powerful things, I think, about, you know, you get those moments where you have to sit down and write or create, whether it's a song or whatever, and you're not feeling it. You just, it won't come to you. Um, so then when you're sitting there working on something like that for hours, and then all of a sudden you get, ah, here we go. We've got Laura back. Laura, I was just saying that it must be really interesting because we all get those times where our creativity juices just dry up and you're sitting there, I have to create something. I need to turn out something here. But when you look at something like TikTok or another medium where, like you say, I don't have to get permission. I feel it today. You could crank out video after video. Yeah, that's right. Uh, You can kind of do it um, whenever you feel like it or whenever feels good. And, um, you know, sometimes you get that pressure of I haven't put out a video in maybe a week. And I know some people feel it on on the daily even because social media can move so fast. Right. But it's important to just – it is important to remember that um, – if you're rushing um, to get content out there, then it might not be the quality and level that you want it to be. And, you you know, I always remind myself I'm playing the long game and I just want to make sure that every video I put out there is um, to the quality that I, that I that I want it to be. So, yeah, I do have that control of sometimes not posting and sometimes posting a lot. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because people have such different um, ways of consuming, you know, content, right? You can watch things in long form and short form and in TikTok, is, it's just scroll, scroll, scroll. So it's quite interesting how comedy, uh, like the, the way that we interact and engage with comedy on TikTok feels very different than something like watching a whole Netflix special, right? So your style is very satirical um, online, which is really interesting. There's characters like German mom, Italian dad. Can you tell us a little bit about what you find uh, fun about doing this kind of comedy? Oh, um, well, my personal favorite brand of comedy is to observe something real in the world, like um, a behavior or a person that maybe I see on the street or something that I find endearing or charming. And um, just yep. explode it to the point of satire. That is definitely the kind of content I love to make. And yeah, you nailed it on the head. I mean, you see it on my page. It's, it's all I do, really. It's observational humor that I blow up. 
into satire. Wow. Um, it brings me a lot of joy. So with that joy that you are able to share with us, can you tell us what goes into creating that kind of of comedy, whether it be for the online or just anything that you do with it when you have observed that person and you take it back, that fascination, curiosity, and exploit it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll essentially, I'll, I'll, I'll think of a truth um, or I'll observe a truth that, that might be relatable. And then I, I go to the drawing board and I think, in what scenario or through what character could I showcase this observation? Right. And then I think, how do I escalate that? In what, in what way does it escalate through the character or does the situation get crazier or weirder or, you know, et cetera? And then I try to find um, the next, go to the next level, kind of the next level joke, just so that I could be a little bit more original um, and uh, really surprise of the viewers with, with my take, with my take on where it goes. Um, so yeah, it definitely goes from the nugget of truth into just the explosion of satire and into what the video ends up being. Which is fun, right? And you got to do that in such a, or at least a pretty uh, small time frame to, to get that laugh across or the punchline or the performance. Totally. And you know, when I first started making videos, I thought that the 30 second to 60 second time limit on these, you know, TikToks and reels was a limiting um, because I was like, well, actually I have so much more to say. But over Mm. time, as I've learned, actually the best videos, or at least the ones that I find success with are the ones that sit at this 36 to 42 second mark. And to get down to that point can sometimes be hard because, you know, you've kind of got to kill your darlings and you know cut things mm-hmm. that maybe you wanted in there <laughs> yes. but overall in the in the long run it actually makes a better video um so the limit what i thought was limiting actually makes it makes it better and with do you the, um oh you go ahead Ron. okay do you check out because you know the style that you're talking about is uh, prevalent for any of us who find this kind of stuff funny on tiktok and and obviously the algorithm does its thing but um do you scroll through others who do similar styles of comedy on tiktok for inspiration or when you feel like what do i do next or do you have like a backlog of ton of things that you want to put out there I have a backlog of observations and ideas on my notes app. I just kind of write them down whenever I see mm-hmm. them when I'm living in the world. But actually, I find that um, I feel more creative and more inspired when I interact with non-comedians and non-comedic contact content. Sorry, And when I'm living in the actual world, like going to the store or hanging out with friends or just living a normal life, because that's where the material comes and not through the content of other creators like me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm mostly inspired not by comedians, even though obviously I enjoy the work that they do, but more so by living in the real world because that's where my comedy comes from. Interesting because what I was going to say a little while ago was imitation is is – one of the most flattering things some say, some people certainly don't like it, <laughs> want to be the target sure. of it. But you, as you say, you sit in that coffee shop and pick up on those everyday things and, and take those and those are those seeds that grow into something. Um, would you feel, because some people really just live for, I guess, poking fun, but a lot of what you're saying is taking something and making it further, maybe getting it to those absurd moments. 
but almost because people fascinate you, the curiosities. And really, a lot of time, it's whatever innocent thing they do that you can have some really nice fun with. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Instead of being that thing that some people would say, oh, well, you, you know, you're picking a weakness or picking that you seem to really enjoy um, that part of, 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 of observing and bringing people forward. So with that being said, your upcoming show, a live show this week, is uh, taking place at the Alumni Theatre here in Toronto. Uh, and it starts on the, the August 11th, as we were saying just a little while ago. Tell us a little bit about it and how it'll be presented. Yeah, thanks for asking. So this is uh, a special, my comedy special, Francis. Um, and we follow the story of Francis, our main character, who has uh, been contacted by her ex-boyfriend, Frank, um, and he's asked her to meet her to talk. And so on her way to this meeting with her ex-boyfriend, we encounter a variety of different characters and of different scenarios through, through the city. And you can kind of see these different characters in these different sketches as um, exploded or like stage versions of my <laughs> observations. Um, so I essentially do a sketch show uh, or I, I present my observations through sketch and have this sort of uh, narrative of Francis's story over top. Wow. So okay. would we say, again, with your work with TikTok and like you talked about the limiting time that it gives... It's, it, is it kind of when, when we, the way you structured, uh, when you put it together, would we almost say that you could actually split all this up and they'd be a bunch of uh, vignettes on, on TikTok? The, the things that I do on stage? Yeah, with for Francis, the show? Yeah, yeah, because I know we spent a, quite a bit of time talking about the platform uh, of TikTok, uh, but yet totally, you know, the way this show is going to be presented, um, you know, that sketch comedy performance is. Is it kind of, I don't want to say, oh, a strung together bunch of, of vignettes, but um, have that kind of feel uh, in that part of your style? Uh, or would we say just totally different for people who've seen you online? Would they come see it, feel the similarity or totally different? Well, they would definitely feel the similarities of my characters and the observations that I have about the world. Um, right. But definitely creating a show for the stage is a completely different thing than making a video online. Mm -hmm. And so even though, uh, for example, I did take um, these characters that I created online uh, called the girl who just got back from blank, like girl who just got back from Italy or Spain or France. I put them in the show, but I do have to build like a stage style sketch right. based on these characters. I still have to do that obviously because no one will be entertained if they come to the theater and see just random TikToks on stage. No. Um, so, you know, I do have to make a proper show. But yes, the characters, the observations, they're fully me. Um, and, and the audience will definitely feel that too. Yeah, which is fascinating because, well, fascinating. It, of course, incredibly fascinating because those who may only know you from the platform who want to come see you live or who have never or, you know, want to come see a show are going to get that feel, get introduced, and that's that's a great way to do it and incorporate and, and sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all the best, and uh, we're looking forward to it, and I'm sure you are too. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on here, talk a little bit about your style, and um, give us the, the goods on your show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And by goods, you mean where how long it runs and where people can get tickets? Yeah, please. <laughs> okay. Well, opening night, Thursday night, August 11th is sold out. Um, unfortunately for people who want to come, but 
fortunately for me, I guess. Yeah. Um, Congratulations. Friday. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We have two shows on Friday to the 12th at 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. and then closing night on Saturday at 8 p.m. And people can find tickets on my website at lauraramoso.com slash tour or on my Instagram at lau underscore ramoso. Okay. Amazing. Appreciate it. All the best and break leg. We'll uh, keep posted. Thank you so much for having me. I had a, I had a blast. Us too. We were talking with award-winning sketch comedian and popular TikToker, Laura Ramoso, about her new and uh, live comedy special that gets underway on Thursday and sold out. So uh, we'll keep tabs on the next one. Uh, but really interesting hearing about the process that Laura goes through to put her stuff out there. You betcha. Folks, Coming up next on our Collections and Hobbies segment, Jeffrey Rainey, avid listener to the network, is here with his collection of cars. We'll talk about them after this. Working our way through a busy week on Kelly and Company. Glad to have you with us out there, the, hanging out in the company and taking in what we're doing on the program. Always want to hear from you wherever you are listening in around the world. Maybe you're checking us out through TuneIn Radio or the Radio Player Canada app, for example. Maybe you're listening at AMI.ca right from your computer and checking us out from the website and the live stream of AMI-audio. Ramya Muthan over there in Toronto at the home studio. I'm Kelly McDonald at the home studio in London, Ontario. So there's a lot of time on the program, Ram, and it never seems like we have enough time when we get into these conversations, whether it's through our voices or when we're sharing book talk on, on our book of the month uh, discussions or with hobbies and collections where we gather here once a mm-hmm. month to explore what people are collecting and the stories and sentiments behind those collections. We welcome Jeffrey Rainey to join us. He's an avid listener of the show, the network, and we appreciate his support and his time. And one day he responded into conversations as he was today earlier in our Motown chat. And, of course, Ms. Amuthan over there picks up on, oh, die-cast cars and Hot Wheels and things. <laughs> oh, wow. So he's joining us today uh, to talk about his collection of cars. Um, Jeff, is there an actually an official way to refer to this collection? Uh, no, just cars. <laughs> okay. I guess. Like Rumi asked me yesterday, and it made me stop and think, yeah, like, if you're a collector and someone says, this? hey, man, can I hear all about your little cars? What are you talking about, little car? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, is it offensive to say toy cars? Because for those of us who don't collect, I remember it as just the toy cars laying around the house that my brother, quote, collected. And, and Rumi, quote, destroyed by stepping on them, unquote. Exactly. So well, that's really how I first knew them. So, I mean, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's how I first knew them. So, that's fine with me. Okay, great. So, um, how large is your, <laughs> is your collection? Because we're not kids anymore. So, if we're talking about oh. it now, it must be pretty significant, oh, even if not in amount. About. In Jeff and I are still kids sitting on the floor playing with the cars. Mm-hmm. We still zoom, 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 zoom. That's, that's right. Um, as opposed to how, how, how big is it? I would say there are probably. About five or six containers, and all, and then a whole dresser full of them, full oh of my gosh. and yes, 
So how some, do you have them I've set never up? actually counted. How do you have, like, okay, in a container, they're piled in together carefully enough, I'm assuming. But how do you, when it comes to cars, before we get into the various types of them, how do you store them carefully? And if you feel, I want to go look at certain ones, obviously, of your own system, but I'm more curious how you store them. And is there anything you tell somebody? Now, if you're keeping cars, don't do this to them because they'll get chip damaged or, or what? Um, well, like you said, if it's in, if it's in a, uh, container that has, uh, that has slots for them, you know, like a container that was designed for, uh, yes. for storing things like that, then, um, I think it, if I had to say it probably started with just adding them one by one and getting familiar with that layout and then working around that. So once you knew what a v, what a car was when you got it, and when it was new, and it was you know you held it all the time, and you knew every bit of it, um, and you figure and you just added, okay, that one is now going to go there. That's its new home, and um, you know I guess in the same way that you would organize, uh, you know the way you get organized with things in your cupboard, um, and yeah, it is uh, it is, and, and then same in, same in uh, in a dresser, you know it's. Um, maybe that was just how it was started. Maybe it was just, you know, putting things away one day and that was the, and that was the order that they got put in or sometimes maybe size or, um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely, if it's in a, if it's in like a tub, like one of those containers on wheels that you can just, you know, or, or even just something for storage. Yeah. You'd have to thumb around for it, but, um, you'd know it once you found it. Um, but definitely in, in collector, in, in drawers or in, uh, containers with little slots like that yeah it's uh you make your own system i guess you just make it up as you go along but then it just becomes ingrained that's what it is so it's not necessarily yeah. hot wheels versus you know whatever it, it, you don't keep all the hot wheels let's say together um yeah th- so there would be one with hot like obviously a, a big die ca- a big you know die cast no, model right, car that right. you know let's would not fit in one of those little drawers but yeah <laughs> no. those you know those would be obviously resigned to to uh you know maybe a chest of drawers or something okay so the the interesting question here is okay because i keep thinking back to when we we're kids and just buying cars and playing with them and smashing them into each other <laughs> anyways how expensive can this get like if you're still collecting <laughs> or keeping an eye on it and i know there's other questions around this too like scale and you know collectors editions etc cetera, etc cetera. how expensive can it get oh. um yeah. if you are buying sorry kelly uh, no oh no i was just i heard your reaction yep. was funny mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sorry um, I, i'm sorry jeff i'm still caught and rummy and i'm smashing around so there must be a drawer that has fragments parts of cars wheels <laughs> here hoods here if there weren't any drawers good enough to hold our cars. A junk drawer <laughs> junkyard yes the, scrap, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the auto wrecker um, if you're starting out with, um, hot wheels, so what we'd call, I mean, I'll just say a 164 scale. So a small car, you hold it in your hand, it's small, um, anywhere. I would say if you, if you're just looking on the store shelves, maybe, uh, I would say around one or $2. A lot of times they'll have sales where they might sell bundles of them for, you know, three for a dollar or three for two or, um, if you're getting into, uh, something a little bit bigger with, uh, you know, the ones that wind up and you pull them back and you let them go or mm-hmm. um, those are probably around anywhere from the five to ten dollar mark. And then when you're getting into the uh, the big ones like the big uh, 
uh, like the 118 or 124 scale, the ones that are much heavier, mm-hmm. that are a lot more detailed because they have more surface area. Um, those would probably go depending on, and it also depends on make and model too, but anywhere from 25 to up to, well, there's also a, a line where I draw the line, but I would say 25 up to, let's say 20 through 60. I think that's a pretty flexible amount. And what about what a lot of times? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. You finished that thought. A lot of times, some of the some of the more rare ones, or some that they don't make as much because there's not as much demand for them, might commend a higher price. Is there some you would, an outside of price wouldn't get that aren't necessarily what you would say are collectible ones? I mean, you know, you look at a lot of stuff that that toys at Fisher Price and them had that were really just parts of sets of things uh, from TV shows or whatever. That wouldn't be necessarily. I'm not saying one could preclude that from a collection but would you still in your case collect that kind of thing and say hey yeah man i want uh, magnum's old ferrari or or the general lee or whatever it might be um yeah well one of the things that we did that we took pride in when we were kids was it was it, we couldn't do it so much with the with the small uh with the small packages with hot wheels because you'd have to take them out at that point but if you had something like a a pullback, a windup, or a or a, or a bigger model one. You could um, lift up one of the um, one of the one of the ends on the box and just feel inside, mm-hmm. and that would give you a little preview of oh, that's what this looks like. Um, but sometimes, yeah, I, I, I was never one for like, oh, this just came out. You know, the let's this is popular. Let's go collect these. You know, for for merchandise or something for have to have. But a lot of times, if it's cool or if it is something from something i know then yeah i would want that too i remember when yeah, like maybe a movie would come out and like this car would be really popular and if it was there i'd be like oh grab it you know like the back to the future card or something uh what's the oldest do, yeah do you, do you guys have any did you collect it as a kid or whatever uh you know old studebakers anything from from the old car days uh when when these things would have been out there model t fords anything so like that that's so i was raised i was raised on stuff for like the what we would call like american muscle or even just muscle yes. cars in general not specific to but that's kind of where it started and that was kind of around anywhere from the mid 50s to the mid 70s but then there was always yeah there but then also not only were there some in the collection but as i got older i did start going back into what were some of the less common ones i would say the old the oldest one i have is a 1934 chrysler airflow oh man oh that's a cool car you know, when you talk about older, like even to stop and think as, as somebody, really? You know, because you don't really think about when did they start making them, what vehicles were created. And and for a lot of people, all you wanted was just the everyday run-of-the-mill vehicle, whether it be, mm-hmm. you know, a Cobra, whether it be the Airflow, whether it be, you know, some little roaster, uh, roaster car, you know, like just something that was out, Roadster, excuse me, a uh, car that was available, like just something you know, that you heard about, that's fascinating. I mean, if a Cobra is your everyday car, you've got some, you've got a really good life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm curious about um, what, where you lie in the spectrum of collectors, right? So do you consider yourself an avid collector? You mentioned how big your collection is and uh, the care and the types of vehicles, but I'm sure you're aware of how other people collect cars. So where do you think you fall in that? 
let me let me preface this to say that I was never the most gentle with you know with little cars as a kid too. <laughs> I would never crash them into each other, right. but I would spin them across the floor just so then. Okay. But anyways, um, you would use them. Absolutely, I would use them. You could tell which ones were mine and which ones were my brothers or my or my dad's or even like other my cousins because mine always had the paint off the wheels and sometimes off the doors, whereas uh, you know my brothers were just out of the package, you know, hadn't been used. Um, but to get back to that question, how much it like. Um, it's mainly a hobby. I, uh, you know, I, I look on websites nowadays and there are auctions for, for vehicles. So sometimes they are new arrivals. Sometimes they're popular ones. I can understand a limited edition one, but when you're, when you're selling something for, you know, let's say a 59 Cadillac DeVille or something for like an auction, anywhere, anywhere in triple digits is too much for me. That's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And an auction to our problem being vision impaired is again goes back to the oh, what am I buying? What am I? You can certainly have the concept of the vehicle. I'm sure you've come across a lot of them in in places where you've just looked and whether the condition was what what you would end up spending any whether it's a dollar or twenty dollars for. Um, you you can see that, and it's knowing what you have, what you don't have, what you'd love to have in your collection, or in the case of yourself something I just want to feel. I want to play with it. I want to I want to be able to pick that car up and say, wow. I like that. I like the way the Chargers have the lights behind the grill or whatever it might be, even in, in the models. Or the way the back end, you know, looks like the, the, the fastback looks or something. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's that, like, it, it's, it's, it also, it is a gamble when you're dealing with uh, something like say an eBay, but when you're dealing with um, a wholesaler or a factory outlet that sometimes has auctions, you can be pretty sure that what you're getting is, something that was delivered that's something that's been taken care of mm. have yeah. you when it comes to your brother and your dad and the way they they keep them i mean i think you said you're you know you're you're they still collect all of you still um do the collections people often have what they think they're going to do with them whether it's cards are they one day going to sell you know i think they get it in their head that oh this one day it'll be worth a lot of money i'll sell it some people have no thoughts of ever doing that and basically <laughs> leaving it to someone else to take care of, you know, when they pass away or whatever, somebody will find, they better find the right thing to do with them, the right collector. And I think that's what a lot of people who really take care of them hope that somebody else will get these and benefit and enjoy, enjoy the collection. Um, for your, your, your family, do they, they ever give you the gears about that and say, Oh, to take care of them more. Do you find that person that, Oh no, I would never, this has got to be taken care of because some people really get into their collections that way. And there are people who say, forget it. I buy this to enjoy it. I buy it to enjoy it. Um, also, you know, having, having your own children really adds on to it. You can instill that in them, passing them down. Um, I was thinking about this beforehand. There is the uh, approach where, yeah, if you're going to sell it, sometimes people never take them out of the package and then they sell them later or they just keep them that way. My thing is, yeah, um, well, first of all, being blind and you're looking at something in the package is not going to do you much never, good. Never. Um, but second of all, that was just never the reason why you bought it. The first thing it did when you got home was take it out of the package. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would say it's more of a, uh, it's definitely more of a sentimental thing. If I will, if I am going to give them away, it would probably be someone in the family. It, it would probably be my own children or even, uh, you know, um, my niece or a nephew um, and who would appreciate them. Um, yeah, I would not put them up on eBay. I, I don't know how many people would want something that would, you know, that's 
not in such good condition. <laughs> You'd only probably do it to get rid of them when you wanted to pass them on. Somebody who just, again, wanted to play and like to say, hey, look, these are great, you know, that you knew you weren't getting the top yeah. dollar your brother or father might. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rum, do you have anything? Because I have a couple of questions. No, I was questions. just going to ask the same thing. Like, if you were to just pass this collection on, hypothetically, would you be able to to somebody else? Or is it just too close? It would pro- It would be either in the family or with a very close friend who, uh, who uh, it would make their life better. Mm-hmm. That's generous of you. A couple of quick questions. Or even considering it. Favorite vehicle that you got? Favorite favorite car? Would you say? Probably the you know out of everything. And you know, by all this discussion, it makes it sound like I don't have anything new in my collection. But my favorite would probably be the 1940 Ford Coupe. It's a two seater. I think sometimes it was often called an opera coupe. That's awesome. What um, just the way that thing looks. Um, just the way it looks. With touching them, playing with them, anything in particular, like some people like hoods that open, some people like the doors to open or something particular, you say the way that that car looks, are you tend to be more the, the, the sleekness, the design of the car? What is the thing that when you when you get some of these that, that you really look at and like? Um, it's all of it. It's, um, well, always when a kid, it was, how is this going to sound when I, uh, you know, when I spin it around on the floor? Right. Uh, it looks but uh, looks would would always come after that, and a lot of times you buy something because you might you might know what the car is, but you've never seen one before, and that's part of the and that's part mm-hmm. of why you want it. You want to see and feel what this looks like. Um, curiously, I always a lot of times favored the back tires when I would play with them, which is weird because you would never drive a vehicle like that, even if it was rear wheel drive, you would never do that unless you were some kind of stunt driver. But that was just how it worked. Um, I would say all of that combined. I love doors that open. I don't know why. That's what I used to like. I used to love mm-hmm. hooking my finger yeah. in there, popping them open, the length of the doors. Oh, there's four here. You know, my favorite was probably my little Rolls Royce. I, I really enjoyed that. And that was because of the tire on the back, you know, or if you had wow. even the fragment. The Continental. Of the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Continental just, tire on the back. Yeah. Jeff, awesome. Thanks for sharing. That is amazing, pal. Appreciate it. Glad we got you on for this. Thanks for having me. It's been a good, uh, it's been a good chat. I was surprised that uh, there's an audience for that. <laughs> well, we 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 are assuming so out there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Jeff we'll Rady. find out. I guess <laughs> we shall. There's always yeah. an audience. Always for sure, and we appreciate always. it. Jeff Rainey, appreciate the time too. Joining us on collections and hobbies, we do this once a month here on the program. It's the second Tuesday of the month at this time. Up next, though, we'll wrap up the show. We'll check out what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. Give you a preview of Kelly and Company. Wow, folks, what a loaded up show today. My goodness, a busy Tuesday right here on AMI-audio, part of Kelly and Company. I appreciate you being here as usual. Check out the podcast when you can. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. And you can listen to the show in segment form, or you can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience, whichever way. Appreciate it. While you're in there, look around. Some other great uh, AMI-audio podcasts available for you as well. Ramya, what segment would you like to mention as one people can start with to go back and check out? 
and I'm seriously telling you, we say this all the time, but there are so many good conversations today. It's hard to just choose one. Um, but maybe we'll go back to our conversation earlier on, like right near the beginning of the show with Lua uh, about this festival that's appreciating and celebrating and recognizing Black women in dance. Um, it's the first one in Canada, and she really talked about the importance and significance of all this. And one thing that she said that I really um, truly appreciate it is th- there's no need to justify why this is happening, why we need to celebrate uh, Black women in dance and express it this way, but also the amount of learning that comes from putting together something like this, but also uh, attending this festival. So it's upcoming. It's going to go on through August. And I appreciated her um, sharing just the, the the background of putting this event together and what it takes to uh, have this conversation out there really incredible when you think about it and nice and we've had the opportunity to have so many different people talking about diverse communities that need especially when we talk arts that need to get out there and get mentioned so great conversation i also want to mention Specsaver. Uh, we had a really interesting talk with naomi and i think for me when we talk about people not going and getting their eyes checked out for one reason or another it is the one thing people seem to say well you know i'll I'll get that done oh i know i've got to do it and i'm poking myself pointing right at myself for that um even as a person with a vision impairment and a lot of my life it was well they can't really do anything for me but as you get older and the other things that she mentioned diabetes aging so many things but mostly she made the point hey you know you don't even know something's going wrong because a lot of these are without symptoms or signs of. So you do need to get those checkups and things so that we, we can find out. So I uh, really had an interesting conversation and informative conversation with her. Also like to mention uh, the gang over at now at uh, Dave Brown, also available via podcast. Maybe you'll subscribe while you're in there to those folks. We'll give you a little temptation here by finding out what's up tomorrow on the Wednesday edition of the show. Paul Daniel, one of the producers is joining us. Paul, can you give us a preview? You bet. On tomorrow's show, Kelly, a collaboration with the University of Toronto and a U.S.-based tech startup has the potential for trains to scrub carbon emissions from the air as the trains roll along the tracks. Think Mm, about that. We'll speak to one of the members of the project to tell us more about the exciting prospect of this research. Mental health advocate Shane Baker will tell us how in these challenging times how people can handle changing circumstances at home and at work. And our tech contributor, Mike Agarbo from the App Show, will tell us about a new set of earbuds that can detect inner ear infections. Nice. I'm still back at scrubbing that stuff from yeah. the environment before it gets out there. kind of takes us back to the fog discussion, you know, out there mm-hmm. and converting, sucking up fog around San Francisco and utilizing it, taking that water and what, what, what mm-hmm. they could do with it and some of the things and, and being natural. Um, really fascinating, Paul. Sounds like, uh, again, like our show, some great conversation tomorrow and so informative. No problem. It's, 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 a, it's, a big, it's a big deal and the potential is unlimited, you know? Yeah, I think we have to think about how much is there, and now is the time to really take advantage. Thanks, Paul. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Take care, Kelly. Producer from over at Now at Day Brown, one of the gang over there, uh, that was Paul Daniel telling us about their show, 9 o'clock in the morning, right here on AMI and available as a podcast. All right, Ramya, so a little uh, overloaded on some great content today, lots of good discussions. Makes you want to go back and listen again and see what you missed. Definitely, definitely, and share. Share all this wonderful conversation. Talk to you tomorrow, Kels. All righty. Get my little cars out now. Anyway, I'll first tell you what's coming up on the program. (laughs) Producer Jeff Ryman tomorrow joins us with the latest health headlines. 
There are many different things that need to be addressed before a television show is truly considered Canadian. Hmm. We'll learn about this tomorrow with Greg David on the program. We'll also throw at you the Wednesday edition of Buzz with Bill. That's, of course, hosted by our producer at AMI-audio, Bill Shackleton. And registered nurse Leslie Tepoe answers all our questions that we might have about monkeypox. We'll get into that conversation a little later on in the program, but we kick things off at 2 p.m. Eastern. We pooped back then, and we hope that you will as well. Have a wonderful night. Fedora's off to you. So we had Jeff Rainey on to discuss his car collection, little cars. And I avoided saying dinky cars, right? That's what we called them when I was a kid. Everything was a dinky car, meaning small. And and I really had the flashback thinking, well, when I had my collection, a lot of these vehicles would have represented cars from the 70s, 60s, and, and, and the 50s and further back. I've seen other vehicles, fire engines and things that people have. It's been amazing because as a child, it's what really got me interested in cars as an adult going out. And, and especially if somebody was looking to buy one, I used to love going out with them and exploring. It was my way of seeing the car. The commercials come on TV or someone mentions the description of a car, but for me to fathom what it was, just like the dinky cars, I had to get it in my hands. And I remember going to car auctions and just loving the descriptions. And we're the same thing, telling you all the luxuries that it had, what what kinds of things the car came with, you know, whether it was an LE model or a fully loaded model. All that stuff fascinated me. And I know so much of that started when I was a child. I remember asking my father about these cars. And, hey, did they have power windows in those cars at that point? Oh, would it have had air conditioning? Wow. And I remember being at, as we called it, <laughs> on the show, uh, whether it be the scrapyard or now referred to auto recyclers, um, it was really always a great time to, for me to, to enjoy vehicles. I'd run home after my father took me out to the auto recyclers to maybe look for a, a part that he needed for, for his car. And I'd go home and of course out would come my toys, my cars. And I spent lots of time with them. So really nice collections and hobbies segment that certainly took me back and hopefully you too.